Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Today I'm talking to Eve Jones, an HCPC art psychotherapist specializing in body image and disordered eating. And her experience includes working in the NHS, education, charity and private sector. And Eve also works in private practice online. Eve studied costume and set design at university, but found herself unfulfilled by the course. She found that she loved thinking about how creative pursuits supported storytelling and in the details of this, how an audience could truly get a sense of the characters or environments presented to them. This really began Eve's own journey for finding meaning, realizing that she wanted to work with people in a meaningful way. And she wondered if her curiosity for noticing the details in storytelling could apply to working with people in a therapeutic context. So Eve went on to study art psychotherapy and she would use her art making practice to build model boxes to reflect on clinical work and her own private practice. And she truly feels that she has found the right career path and enjoys this work so much. I'm really looking forward to speaking with Eve today to understand more about her journey into art therapy, to understand about art therapy itself, how it works and the benefits of this, particularly in relation to eating disorders and body image. And I think Eve is my first art psychotherapist on the show. So I'm very much looking forward to this. Let's get to the conversation. Hi, Eve. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hi, Harriet. Thank you for having me. So, Eve, could I firstly get you to introduce yourself to the listeners, please? Hi. Yes, sure. So my name is Eve Jones. I'm an art psychotherapist and I work with eating disorders as well as other different presentations as well. Okay, no, lovely. Thanks, Eve. So, Eve, I think I recognise I haven't had an art psychotherapist on the podcast to date, so I'm quite excited about that. <laughs> so, before before we dive into all of that, can I just ask you, like, have you still got snow where you are, or have you come out of that now? No, strangely, I woke up this morning and it all gone because it rained like yesterday. So it's it's quite nice because it's been quite treacherous outside. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, the same. Yeah, same here actually. Like our like snow cat, literally like yesterday, was starting to sort of fall over a bit, but it's literally like a tiny snowball now. But I'm so happy. So Eve, I know you're going to come and tell us a bit today about how art therapy can support eating disorder recovery. You know, as you sort of said, I know we were talking before how it can often be sort of frequently misunderstood. So I think it's just great to have you here today so we can really hear more about what it's really like and how it can benefit so many people. So before we get into that, could you tell the listeners a little bit about how you became an art psychotherapist? Sure. Yeah, so it's kind of a long story. I started in my training with something creative and I studied at school at university, costume and set design. And it was an amazing vocation to get to learn a bit about scenography, about costumes, about making and design and being behind the scenes for this amazing sensory experience and, and truly being a part of something that's so creative. 
but I recognised that I felt quite unfulfilled by by it. Often it felt quite disposable and so much effort going into these wonderful productions or films. And there was a part of me that was hungry for something a bit more meaningful. I took a shining to design and I would often end up making these model boxes and it was a very long time consuming process having to measure things out very specifically to scale and I actually came to really enjoy making these model boxes and they became a bit more abstract and maybe I started making them outside of the briefs that I was given and just making them for myself and after I finished at university I recognized that well maybe maybe there's something more out there for me that could bring some of my creative skills together with a vocation that felt more meaningful. And during my time at university, I spent some time in Ghana working with an orphanage, working in communities with people and thought, actually, I really like being part of these worlds where I feel useful and and needed. And I guess it brought me into this kind of creative space where we could think about connection in therapy. It also made me think from, if I go back a little bit, from making the model boxes, how I was spending so much time and effort looking at all the details. And it made me think about how we look at characters and all these details add to the characters or how the sets add details to the, the character's narrative and how in noticing this, we, we know so much more about them. And I thought maybe I could bring that into a therapeutic context and being able to understand people. So that with my experiences of sort of volunteering brought me into my training as an art psychotherapist. Hmm. Well, it's wonderful because it sounds as though you really were so inspired by working in that sort of creative field. But the bit that was missing for you was the sort of people connection, wasn't it? And wanting to help others, maybe to give something back. And I think it's really brave of you, actually, that you identified very early on that perhaps the art on its own wasn't going to tick the box, but realizing that you need to take that a step further and then, you know, going on to do your therapy training. Mm, yeah and there are so many options as many young people realize when they have to make these options about university it's not until you actually go and do it you kind of start developing a sense of actually maybe maybe there's something more and yeah like I said there's so many options so it's all kind of through that learning isn't it yeah so could you tell us a bit about like what is art psychotherapy sure so art therapy is, art psychotherapy is a therapy which uses art making within the therapeutic alliance. And that's the alliances between the client, the art therapist and the work. And this is all understood within the context of psychodynamic framework. And that's basically what we think about when we consider our early life, our experiences and how all these parts inform here and now. Okay, so how is it different from a sort of just traditional art class? Yeah, so art classes are very much for thinking about and refining skills. They are often very directive in style. There's often an objective and an outcome and often you're marked on the performance. Whereas art therapy is non-directive. It's not about needing to meet a brief. It's not about needing to be good. And it's very much for self-exploration. The way that I like to think about it is that art making is a helping hand where maybe some of those words don't exist. Mm. And I think that art can help us to spark reflection. And we don't have to, it doesn't have to necessarily need to reflect your innermost thoughts, but it's just sort of that starting point to help 
bring you to that next point where maybe those words are possible and you don't need to think too much about what it is that you're making and the therapist can help you navigate that in a way that helps you bring meaning together Mm. you know I love the way that it's much more sort of non-directive and it sounds like it really opens up a space doesn't it for a client to really sort of explore their own world without any sort of you know defined brief necessarily or expectations because I think I know myself you know I'm not really a very arty person but I can imagine if I was sitting down and you know feeling that pressure maybe to kind of draw or produce or create something that can often be quite a block for people can't it and it perhaps could bring up quite a lot of anxiety absolutely I think especially working with clients with eating disorders being met with an open space full of so many possibilities and choice can be quite anxiety provoking thinking about well, what's right and what's wrong how will maybe this translate to others and they'll think about me and and is it safe to make these choices is it okay for me to be seen and heard in this space where I'm visibly and unapologetically expressing myself without mm. any need of erasing anything you just it's just you yeah and I know that you know, a common fear perhaps of any people or misconception about art therapy is that you're going to be analysed by your therapist. But can you say a bit more about that? Like, is that true? <laughs> no, not at all. I think I touched on it briefly about like, it doesn't have to necessarily reveal your innermost thoughts, but sometimes just the beginning of a thought creatively on the paper or holding like some threads and winding it right your fingers or just holding clay and touching it and merging it these are like acts where you can just allow yourself to be playful and the therapist can invite curiosity into this space to kind of think about what these sensations feel like what's coming up for you in that process it's very much the therapist is non-judgmental and there isn't a code if, if maybe people thought that there were that if you draw this line and that means that it's really the meaning is found within the relationship and it ebbs and flows and the therapist isn't there to force meaning or their own agenda on what they kind of interpret your work to be. They just welcome a lot of curiosity to help the individual be curious about themselves, which I think is incredibly important with the work that we do in, in eating disorder treatment. Sure. So can you do art therapy on yourself? Because I guess a lot of people maybe listening may use art or other creative mediums as a way to express feelings, de-stress, all of those kind of positive things. But yeah, is it possible to do art therapy on yourself? So no, we do <laughs> see a lot of these books in the shops for like art therapy books, for colouring and things like that. And it is relaxing and it can support with emotional regulation. But art therapy is within the context of a therapeutic relationship, which is the client therapist and the artwork and the three create this triangle which contains the client in that process so without those all those factors together working in alignment it isn't possible for you to do art therapy on yourself okay so who can be helped by this and in sort of what ways can people be supported through art therapy it's a great question so very broadly speaking, a lot of people can benefit from art therapy. It can help sort of the elderly, where maybe there are difficulties with cognition and memory. From the elderly, when we think about cognitions and memory for children, 
young people. It can help in addiction. It can help in bereavement in so many different areas. I guess it supports predominantly those who are struggling with communication. And that's especially important for people who've experienced trauma where there aren't any words and it's very much contained within the body. It can help people with communication difficulties. So, for example, maybe people with learning difficulties, maybe a learning disability, maybe someone who is deaf and they can use art as a way to sort of externalise what it is that is internal. And I guess the way that it helps is, like I've mentioned, it externalises what is internal, which is so helpful with trauma. It can also be a way of thinking about the neurological processes in the way that like one side of the brain processes differently from the other. So when we use art making, it sparks our imagination, it sparks our emotions, and, and it's that part of the brain that contains the dreams and all the nonverbal information is stored. So when we sort of cross those sides of the brain and that one is engaged with, then it can be helpful in sort of bringing the pathways together. So neural connectivity takes place. I think as well, what's really important for me is that art therapy supports curiosity and it's really helpful for navigating self-inquiry. And for many individuals with an eating disorder, that sadly diminishes. There becomes this fixation on food and there is less curiosity for space about themselves and the identity of who they are, their likes and dislikes and their personality. So being able to tap into that using creativity is a really important way of bringing that identity back to the fore and I think lastly it can be really helpful to relax it helps emotional regulation and brings you into a space where maybe words are possible when your nervous system is being soothed so that there is space for reflection and curiosity to think about what are some of the struggles that person is sitting with. Hmm. Yeah, it sounds like there's multiple benefits. And obviously, like, I guess initially you're sort of the person's producing the art, but then there's the time is there to sort of like, you know, to reflect and talk about the art they produced. And how do you sort of go about doing that to sort of help someone open up? Hmm. It's quite tricky sometimes because a person might not want to, to open up about what they have made because it's so private I guess but sometimes someone might want to open up and they might engage with you if if that relationship feels quite containing and it feels trusting and safe but sometimes people might not make art in a session and that's fine too I always encourage people to kind of use the space as they would like to and they are safe to make all these choices so if that's sort of just sitting in the space that's fine if they want to make something that's fine if they just want to sit and play with the materials then that's fine as well And I think over time, that process of curiosity, it builds so that maybe they do get to to experience what it is like to be curious about themselves alongside a therapist where you can do that together. Yeah, and I can imagine for many people, it probably just feels a lot safer than perhaps sitting in front of someone and being expected to talk and having to look at someone in the eye, having that sort of almost third piece in the room isn't it the artwork you know to be able to direct attention towards that and you know I can see how that's quite a safe channel in probably for many people Mm, absolutely I think it helps that therapeutic gaze to be less intense and it allows for that calmness 
and that space to come up for them where they can be curious about themselves, where maybe there can sometimes be a focus on words and needing to have the solution or needing to know the answers, which can be quite overwhelming for some people. And you run your art therapy, so sometimes one-to-one or in groups, and that can be either online or in person. So is it really quite varied in terms of how you would deliver the therapy? Yes, yes and no. So I guess the same things apply in terms of when we think about boundaries. For example, their groups are confidential and we have boundaries around like phones not being present and we have boundaries around sort of once you're in the group or in the space that then we have that time and we honor that time and it's in the same time every week same place every week so those boundaries they stay and also another boundary is whatever you make in the session it will stay in the session until such a time as you leave your art therapy and then individuals can take away their artwork if they want to and sometimes they choose not to and I think reasons for that might be so variable in terms of the way that maybe they value the space or maybe what it is they've created is actually quite fragile and they would like that containment to be held with the therapist but in terms of the actual running of the group we always have a time to kind of check in to think about how they would like to start the session with their words maybe then they can decide when they need to need or want to, to make art making and we check in to think about how much time they would like for that and we always come back together at the end of the group for about 20 minutes 15 minutes which we kind of decide together as a group so they have as much sort of choice and autonomy in co-creating the space to reflect on what's come up in that process so we in a group we would sort of get all the work out together and go around the room and have a look but in a one-to-one space, it's a lot more flexible because it's just that one person you have to consider. Mm-hmm. And similarly online, um, the way that the group would work is we kind of do a screenshot of everyone holding up their work at the end. And then we put it on the screen so everyone can look at it at the same time where we don't have that physical space to do that in. So I find groups online so fascinating because obviously we don't have that body language to observe. But I still think that they're such interesting and useful spaces for groups to come together in hmm. I know just from running sort of more general therapy groups myself that people are often extremely apprehensive about joining a group but then by the end of it they are you know they really form these strong bonds and they often stay in touch afterwards you know obviously you know I guess that's appropriate in the kind of groups I'm doing I understand it's not always the same with all groups but you know that the aspect of being able to really tap into support and being understood by others. I think there's so much power in groups, isn't there? Absolutely. I think groups are so magical. And I really get what you say about people being quite ambivalent about joining because it's scary, no? Having to join others and sort of share your struggle. And is that struggle acceptable? And what is it like to be vulnerable in those group spaces? But I think groups are quite like playgrounds where you can quite explorative in learning about your social self that is a great opportunity for interpersonal learning I think there's something really important about sharing your struggle and that being shared with others in their own experiences to know that that you're not alone in what, in what you feel so that reduces the isolation with eating disorders especially they can be so isolating for that individual so to be able to come into sort of this group space where we sort of expose 
but when we put the isolation aside, it can be really nurturing for that part of recovery. And I think also it helps with developing empathy for others where maybe you, an individual with an eating disorder might not have empathy for themselves or they might struggle to see that they are struggling. So to be able to model that in a group environment is so important and helpful. If you're looking for support for yourself or for a loved one who's struggling with an eating disorder, I recommend you take a look at Autumn Health. Autumn Health was founded by Dr. Courtney Raspin in 2005 and since then it's grown into a clinic of more than 20 registered psychologists, psychiatrists and dietitians. The team works with private clients experiencing anxiety, depression, the effects of trauma and other mental health conditions, but they specialise in eating disorders and body image issues. For a successful recovery, it's so important to find a therapist you can trust and at Autumn Health you can choose from a range of highly experienced, compassionate and caring therapists. It provides tailored treatment plans to suit your unique needs and personable, convenient and flexible treatment options. Meet your therapist face-to-face at their cosy and welcoming clinic in central London or online via Zoom. Visit ultimhealth.co.uk, so ultim is spelt A-L-T-U-M health.co.uk to find out more and check out the fantastic resources available, including hundreds of helpful articles packed with advice look out for the free Improve Your Body Image Worksheet. And how do you deal with perfectionism and that's comparing oneself to others? Because I'm guessing people with eating disorders, again, I'm really generalizing, but often perfectionism can be a very sort of like strong thread, can't it, running through the eating disorder and in other areas of life and that real comparing with others. And I'm wondering in a group setting sometimes, can that kind of get in the way or do you have to sort of talk about that to help sort of break that down so it's not a barrier for people engaging? Yeah, you're so right. And perfectionism is so present often in the sessions because, as I mentioned, there's so much choice and it can be quite overwhelming to know where to start. And is that choice the right choice? Will it match the expectation that that individual has for their goal in art therapy? So it can be really challenging for individuals to come in and drop all those expectations about art making because maybe the last time they did art was at school in GCSE or in A-level and they were critiqued or marked on their performance. And it can be really hard to put that aside and just say, oh, I'm just going to make this art for me. And that's OK, just as it is. So you've already touched on several areas already, I think, in terms of how art therapy can be particularly supportive for someone with an eating disorder. But could you elaborate a bit more on that in terms of like the real benefits someone could get from art therapy? Yeah. So as I've mentioned about the choice, I think for many individuals with an eating disorder, especially making choice around food can be very anxiety provoking. So when an individual is able to make a lot of choice about the way that they feed themselves in terms of using the art materials to nourish them in a way and to express themselves creatively, maybe then making choice isn't so scary. They can really invite curiosity around the way that they make choice just in using the art materials, which then can translate into thinking about how they make choice about food and how they want to nourish themselves, where they can feed their curiosity. Thinking about externalizing, so when we 
are in talk therapies. We're very much thinking about words and, and that kind of communication. So when we externalize visually with art materials, we're making those thoughts, those feelings, those experiences tangible. And there's a voice for them that both the therapist and the individual can see in a way that feels, I guess, more real. You can really connect to it, you can hold it, you can touch it, you can rip it up if you want to. And there's something very empowering about just being able to see something visually as well. Just being spontaneous in these creations is important so that individuals who maybe who have an eating disorder, which is contained within rigid rules, there's more space to spontaneity and, and it feels safer in a way. So individuals with an eating disorder, they have, the identity can become the, the eating disorder itself. It's all consuming and those parts for the self, which is the likes and dislikes, morals, the experiences, their values, they, they kind of get a bit pushed to the side or made smaller. So by being able to express yourself unapologetically and just tune into you know, who you are is a great way of being able to reconnect to yourself and be curious about that. I keep saying curious today. I think that's my, my the word. And I think another thing is taking space. So often individuals with an eating disorder, they might struggle to feel seen, heard. They might feel they have struggles with their boundaries around what's it like to name that they have struggles and, and what's it like to not people please. So by being able to make and own work is really powerful because they are being seen, they are being thought about, and they are being witnessed so they can feel better in their self-esteem and their worth, and they're executing healthy boundaries where it's actually accept it's acceptable for them to be able to do that, where maybe it might not be outside of the therapy, but it's something that they're working on. I guess we've talked a little bit, but it's really empowering. And I notice that how sometimes people, when they first start art therapy, they might be quite timid and meek and make very small gestures with a pencil and then they'll rub it out and they might be really unsure and, and feel quite stuck and maybe that speaks to their own experience of feeling quite stuck in their own lives and as they get more familiar with the process and a bit more confident maybe they might feel able to explore a little bit more and make slightly bolder marks or they might feel well, I'm going to try all these materials and if it doesn't work out, then that's okay and I'm not going to beat myself up about it. And just noticing the way that body language starts to change is really interesting. Yeah, and I find it interesting the way that people maybe at the beginning take a few materials or maybe someone else might take loads of materials. And it's quite interesting to sort of see the difference, especially in groups with the way that people take differing amounts and, and how in groups they might think about or is it okay to take more? Is it okay to take a little bit? Or and sort of noticing that dialogue that comes with that when people are curious. Hmm. And would you run groups as well where you have people with different diagnoses of eating disorders within the group? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I tend to work mostly with people with anorexia, but some groups I have run, there are different types of eating disorders present. Sure, no, really interesting. And then I guess the next thing to think about as well is I guess there's so many different sort of mediums that you could work with and the materials when doing the art therapy. So could you tell us as well a bit about some of those, please? Absolutely. So I always set the table in groups, especially, or really for any group or one-to-one -one interaction. 
quite full. There's always a lot of materials. And I like to think it's a banquet where people can come and be excited and like awe at what's on offer and, and feel quite inspired by what they might then create. So some of the staples of my banquet include clay. Clay is amazing because it receives so much pressure and you can rework it constantly over and over and it will never break. And I think it's such a great way of being able to process anger. I think as well, because you use your body, just being able to use touch in this way can tap into primary modes of communication. So it can access parts of yourself which are encoded through touch where words cannot exist. So early memories in life, what's it like to be held by mum as a baby and what's it like to feel and be in your body? I think clay is so, so, so magical. So that's one of my favourites. Collage is something that's often used. And I, I often recommend collage is a great place to start when somebody doesn't know where to start because the pictures are already there. And it's very spontaneous what comes up in a collage because you never know what you're going to get in a magazine. But it's often in magazines, and so you'll get lots of images of different kinds of bodies perhaps bodies that adhere to societal beauty standards and it can be quite powerful individuals working with these images and being able to reconcile and think about ideas of, of how they feel about their bodies by cutting and ripping and sticking these body types together to create maybe different layouts and things like that and often people use words words that speak to their own experiences and I think there's something really interesting about just being able to cut, stick, rip, which is quite visceral and quite empowering when you can like rejig all these pieces together in a way that looks and feels different from where you started. Fabrics. So I, fabrics are very me because that's kind of where my journey started in costume and set design. And, and I love to be able to get sort of charity shop fabrics that have lots of memories in and for them to be repurposed in a way. I think fabrics hold a lot of memories and I previously worked with the elderly and also in bereavement. And when you bring fabrics of maybe a loved one or a fabric that has a memory attached to it and you can work with it in a new kind of way, it can really be quite provocative when thinking about experiences and processing them in the therapy space. I think as well, fabrics are quite slippery sometimes and they're quite fluid, unlike something that's quite controlled, like a pencil. So it can invite experiences and of flexibility into the room where often somebody with an eating disorder, that, that is contained within rigid walls. So being able to play and experience control in quite a difficult sort of process, pricking the fabric and bring it together, binding it, can offer some thoughts around flexibility. Mirrors. So I bring mirrors into my work. They are only little ones, probably sort of just as big as your hand. And they're not sort of made of glass, they're made of plastic. But I feel that they can offer literal and metaphorical opportunities for reflection. People might use mirrors to stick them onto paper. They might choose to make the mirror as something they see at home. And I wonder, like, what's it like for them to physically interact with the mirror? Are they looking at themselves? Are they avoiding themselves? And can that help to rebuild a relationship for them where what they see in the mirror is somewhat, someone who isn't feared and is acceptable by just being in contact, working with a mirror creatively? I've got a few more. Do I have enough time? 
<laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, do tell us a little bit more about, you, you always want to say about containers, didn't you? And yeah, so yeah, they feel free, Eve. Tell us a bit more. Okay. Containers, so I bring boxes in. And I think it's quite interesting when we think symbolically about being contained. Literally and symbolically, when we think about containment in the therapeutic relationship, so that you can feel held holding which is Winnicott's idea by the therapist by mother and this can be imbued within a material and maybe what is put into that container is heavy it's messy and maybe it's too scary to be seen but just having this tangible container can be a stepping stone for these fragments to be contained and maybe more words can emerge in that process and I guess sort of lastly uh, things like pencil pencils are often the starting point for many people because they feel quite safe. They can be rubbed out, erased, and they can be quite faint, that they maybe aren't maybe the bold choices, maybe like bright coloured paints, and they can maybe represent this feeling of control. And often I will see individuals who are new to art therapy starting with pencil because it is scary to know where to start and they'll be rubbing things out and letting me know that they feel quite stuck. So Pencil sometimes is that beginning step for many people, but sometimes people come back to those initial line drawings and they want to build on them and make them more defined. And sometimes they'll just leave them as is. And maybe that speaks to their own feeling of of being quite, I guess, faint and maybe unseen. Mm. Gosh, it's so fascinating, actually, just when you're sort of talking through it all, just I guess how much you can learn and glean and understand, become more aware through the art therapy process. And it sounds sort of multi-layered. And I guess you can just really go about it at your own pace, can't you? You know, you can start off with perhaps things that are not so scary and, you know, dip your toe in the water and get a bit more comfortable with that. And then there's the opportunity, though, to go to great depths with the therapy and, you know, so much insight and understanding can be gained through the whole process. Mm, absolutely. And I guess just to say, like, there's no way of getting this wrong. Like, there's no right way. It's, it's so open and people take it at their own pace. So I know when many people are thinking about having therapy, they probably wouldn't always think about art therapy. I know the sort of NHS service I work in, the inpatients do have access to an art therapist and they sort of work in groups with that art therapist. But I'm wondering, you know, for kind of many people listening, obviously they're not in an inpatient setting and they may have had or you know, had some kind of therapy before. But I'm just thinking if someone wanted to work with either yourself or get in contact with an art, another art therapist, what's the process for doing that? Sure. So there are different platforms, I guess, for referral. If you want to go privately, then you can go on different websites online to access an art therapist. And the referral process would be quite similar to one that would be a psychotherapist or a counsellor where an individual can talk about what the struggle is. Maybe they do a taster session where they get to try the art therapy to see whether that feels right for them. And I always say it's so important that you find the right fit for a therapist because therapy is so personal. But yeah, there are lots of options out there online for both online and face-to-face work. And I also work online. Mm-hmm. And you talked about sort of with, you know, art psychotherapy, obviously having the sort of psychodynamic sort of base to it and for the interpretation of the artwork. 
do some art therapists work with other types of you know counseling theory or or not generally I'm just so curious to that I just don't know much about it I think so where I work predominantly as a, a psychodynamic therapist other therapists might bring in like mentalizing they might bring CBT in as well and yeah there can be some sort of hybrids as well but I think because my training was psychodynamic it's definitely that's that's my anchor in thinking about the work Mm. so Eve where can people find you if they would I mean I'm just I don't want you to be inundated (laughs) you might want to be inundated but I'm sure you know there's going to be quite a lot of people that are listening to this podcast that might think actually that would be a really sort of helpful way in for me and I'm really interested to find out more so where can people find you if they want to you know maybe either make contact with you or perhaps think about seeing you for some one-to-one or group work yeah, my handle is on Instagram. My name is Art Therapy with Eve. And if people sort of direct message me, then I'll contact them that way. I work online, as I said. But yeah, it's, it would be great to think that off the back of this podcast, people would be interested in art therapy. And I think it's so important people know more about it, as often it can be misunderstood or maybe not as viewed as important as other kinds of different psychological treatments. Mm. Well, I really appreciate, Eve, that you just sort of opening up this conversation and taking us through art therapy and talking about all the benefits of it, and particularly in relation to eating disorders. And I think what's very inspiring about you is you are clearly incredibly passionate about the work you do. You know, I think that really comes through in everything you've talked about today and the, just the thought and detail that you are, you know, giving to that work as well. I think, you know, I didn't realise there was just so much to it, but I think, again, I can see all credit to you, really, how you are obviously massively inspired by using creative mediums, but then also being able to use that in a way to help people. Yeah, it's really very inspiring. I really enjoyed hearing about it. Oh, thank you, Harriet. Yeah, I think that's so nice for you to say. And, and I really believe that there are different ways of thinking about mental health, especially when we can bring that creative lens to thinking about mental health in that sort of, yeah, in a different way. I think it's really meaningful. Thank you, Eve. Well, I will make sure as well that your Instagram handle is in the show notes. And yeah, to get ready to like hear from lots of people, I think. <laughs> so yeah, so thank you so much, Eve, for today. I really appreciate it. No worries. And thank you for having me. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. And do go and check out all of Eve's info in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eating disorder therapist.co.uk. If you enjoy this podcast, I would be so grateful if you'd follow, rate, and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today, and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm-hmm.